Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, the climb. Treasury yields keep rising with the 10-year closing at levels not seen since the financial crisis. Stocks feeling the pain, too. The S&P now down for over 4.5% this month. So where do we go from here? We'll debate that. Plus, prescription problems. Shares of CVS crushed as Blue Shield of California partners with Amazon in a venture by Mark Cuban to save on the cost of drugs. The ripple effects across the insurance landscape straight ahead. And later, Walmart's fade despite an earnings beat and guidance boost. Wall Street's new interest in Pinterest and exploring ways to profit in the energy patch. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the great rate rally. The yield on the 10-year Treasury is rising as high as 4.33% during the session and posting its highest close since June of 2008. The move taking a toll on stocks, which saw another sell-off into the close. The Dow down 290 points, the latest index to finish below its 50-day moving average. It is the first time it's done that since June 1st. So is there any end in sight to this move higher in rates, and does that keep the pressure on the equity markets? I, I thought actually equity markets did okay, considering the huge climb. Ish. It's interesting. You know, I happen to know for a fact that Miley Cyrus is a huge Fast Money fan. And one of her hits is, in fact, The Climb, which is a beautiful (laughs) song. But this is not a good climb. This is not what you want to see. Rates are not going higher for the right reasons, in my opinion. This is now a confluence of events going on globally. We're at levels we haven't seen in quite some time. I think, and I've looked at it, I think we're about to break through a 40-year downtrend in yields And rates going higher in this environment, to me, is going to be very negative for equities. You're right. The stock market sort of hung in there, sold off late. We're at levels in the S&P that we topped out at in August of last year, this sort of 4350 level. This should be support. But if yields continue to move like they're moving, there's going to be some ramifications for global equity markets. I think they top out next week. I think we see into Jackson Hole. I think everyone's got on one side of this trade here, and everyone's convinced that we're going to break out of this range that we've been in now in the 10-year, you know, for the last, call it, six months or so. I have to give Savita Sumerbanian. She was on the desk for the whole hour. Remember that in late June? Um, and she just, you know, got up in my grill and said, no, no, rates are going higher. I think they were at like 375 or something like that in the 10-year, and that was a really good call. Um, but going back to just kind of sentiment and the way everyone's positioned, it just seems like that this is a foregone conclusion. What do we know about markets and, and being on this desk and, and, and making these hot takes all the time? We know that when something seems like a foregone conclusion, it usually goes the other way. And so I don't know. I just kind of want to think about taking the other side of this. I did have a bullish uh, position in the TLT. I started it a few weeks ago. That did not go well. That was in my face here a little bit, but I think the timing, I was just a little bit early, so I think it could set up pretty decently right now. The last thing I'll just say about equities, because that's what you asked about it, I mean, I think it is having an effect on equities. And if you go back and you think about when the market really got their arms around what the Fed was going to do to battle inflation in late 2021, the highest valuation stuff started to sell off. That's kind of what's happening right now over the last few weeks with the S&P down 5%. So I think there's a chance that it could start to snowball a little bit, and this 5% downdraft in the S&P could easily turn into a 10%. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely keeping the pressure on the big cap technology stocks, which already started the month 
under pressure themselves, Karen. Right. I guess I was just surprised the S&P broadly um, closed with less than a percent decline. I would have thought this, you know, very important move higher um, right. would have had a little bit more of a toll on, on sort of the equal weight. Well, there, I mean, there's some things that everything, well, everything I own pretty much was down except mm-hmm. for anything that was a hedge position. But um, I, there's a few things going on, I think. One of them is as this idea of maybe no recession, right, soft landing or no recession at all, sort of gets more traction, there's sort of the idea of, wow, that if, if, if bonds were down because of a looming recession, and that's not the case anymore. So now we see bond rates rise. And then, you know, we always talk about what, you know, it's just math. What's the discount rate when you have a much higher risk-free rate? So, and the higher your multiple is, the more pain to the multiple when it comes down. So there's some of that. I think that, ever. I mean, uh, today was just an awful day for me. But I think that some of the stuff that is a low PE, I do feel comfortable with. So retail was a little better than I thought. So there are pockets where things are going well. Um, I just think that that run up in the NASDAQ uh, was unsustainable. Yeah. These guys mentioned positioning, Tim. And obviously, next week is a very big week for a couple of different reasons. Jerome Powell speaks on the 25th. Yeah. That's going to be key, obviously. NVIDIA. We've also got NVIDIA on the 23rd. <laughs> so these are two right. sort of different events, and they're going to have a big impact on the markets individually. Well, let's let's reference the Miley climb. And if you look at what semis were doing, and, and I would argue, you know, Apple's taken the Miley climb, even though it's been steep. Uh, and But it seems like it's kind of taken the elevator down. And we've seen that with uh, a bunch of other stocks. And, and in terms of semiconductors, uh, NVIDIA's actually outperformed the group on the way down, which are down over 10% now. Uh, it, and if you look at that NVIDIA gap up, it, it feels like the SMH wants to trade down to 135. Um, in terms of where people are on yields, I, I think people were not necessarily positioning for higher yields. And, and, and that's where equities are now really starting to take a tumble. And if you look back, I know we just quoted we are at 15 year highs on the 10 year. Uh, and, and if you look back even just two years, we've moved up 300 basis points in terms of the 10 year. That's your discount rate. Um, what equities you know, what are they worth? with a discount rate that's 300 basis points higher than they were two years ago. Um, by the way, when markets were at their, at least the high uh, multiple stocks were effectively at their all-time highs and the market was close to making all-time highs. So um, if you look at the market today, clearly interest rate sensitives are the ones getting whacked. Look at the home builders, look at the XHB down 3.7%. Um, that one is really turned and it's turned quickly. Uh, even though that, you know, we've had great earnings out of the home builders, we've heard about their ability to kind of fill the financing gap and, and where the multiples aren't stretched. Uh, look at emerging markets, which looked like they were about to break out and have now really been been pasted. And I would say the high multiple tech trade, everything that that, you know, could be ARC or or some portfolio uh, of companies that were trading in, in multiples that never made sense. They made a lot of sense for most of this year. Uh, and those things have turned quickly, too. So um, I still think that the, the pain trade is higher on rates. I, I don't know. I mean, Dan, I, you, you may be right on that in terms of positioning. Is everybody pushing for that now? Uh, I get the sense that most people were of the view that rates couldn't go higher. Um, and some of these things that have hit the, the, the radar screen over the last few days, including China, Fitch, um, mm-hmm. uh, JGB's refunding schedule, these are things that really were not in the calculus. And you think about what Jerome Powell could, could want to message to the markets. He wants to put to bed, you know, this notion that there's going to be rate cuts just around the corner. He wants to probably put out the message that rates will, in fact, be higher for longer. And that's not just till February of next year when they start to cut, because that that should be dispelled. 
Um, so you have that potential message coming out of Jackson Hole. And then you also have NVIDIA. And what if they actually do beat the raised guidance that they have? Then all of a sudden you have this choice. Are things really that good because mm. that's what NVIDIA is telling you? Or is the higher for longer narrative, does that take over? Listen, NVIDIA is its own animal, without question. There's a chance that they beat again in the stock. I mean, somebody put an $800 price target, I think, on NVIDIA today or yesterday. So obviously that's, but NVIDIA, let's be clear, and I don't think you're saying this, NVIDIA is not the market. And one of the reasons yields are going higher is people say, you know what, you want us to buy your debt? That's fine. But we're not no longer going to do it at stupid low interest rates. You're going to got to pay up. You're going to have to pay us to take that risk. And that's going on now globally. And listen, the Japanese, I believe, are still the largest owners of our debt. Guess what's happening there? They're sort of that bond market is sort of blowing up in slow motion right before our very eyes. And that has this sort of this loop effect yeah, where right. that continues to disintegrate and it follows into our market. So, yes, I think rates can go higher, but rates going higher does not suggest that things are better here in the United States. Yeah, I guess my question really was, you know, if there is what multiple are you still willing to pay for growth if rates go higher, even if a company delivers? Uh -huh. You know, and then you really have a choice. Right. But if you look at the S&P 500, we've had lots of guests kind of talk about this over the last kind of six to nine months or so since the bottom of the S&P 500. I mean, parts of the market, large parts of the market, cyclicals and stuff, they were priced at low teens multiples. It was this kind of two dozen or so or less than that stocks that were trading at way above multi market multiples that give the S&P what looks like an 18 and a half or 19 times multiple. So lots of parts of the stock market are already pricing in at least a soft landing, maybe something a bit worse if you just think about where you would expect uh, these groups to trough right now. So a lot of work has to be done uh, like to a, a few turns in some of the highest valuation names. And, you know, I had a conversation with Dan Niles from Saturi Fund, who's on the network a lot. He's a, a legendary tech investor um, in my book. And, and this was just yesterday. We're talking about he goes, well, what if they do beat? This is NVIDIA. OK, they do beat. And they do raise. And the stock doesn't go higher. Think about what that might say for some of these tech stocks that have already turned lower. The S&P is down 5%, yet Microsoft and Apple are down more than 10%. And if we have a snowball effect of some of those big participants, you know what I mean, in the, in the, in the index, um, we could be in, in, in for a problem here. I mean, that's my two cents on that. Well, how are bond traders reacting to the sharp rise in yields? Let's get to CNBC's Rick Santelli in Chicago. Rick, what's your take? We go much higher from here? Well, let me kind of start at the beginning here, and I'll get to that. I think I'm more in agreement with Tim, actually. If you look at a short intraday chart of 10s, so a couple things should jump out at you. That most of the selling action was early, and for the most part, we settled pretty much at the low yields, even though it was higher on the session, but only by a couple of basis points. So yesterday was the first time we closed above our October 24th high yield close of four and a quarter, and not by much. Now we're only a couple basis points above it. And if you look at the next chart, whether it's 10s and 30s on the same chart, I could have thrown 20 year on it. All long maturities today closed at the sixth consecutive higher yield in each session. And I think that's important. But I agree with Tim that there's a big defensive feeling to this. The fact of the matter is, is that I believe in breakouts. And if you look at the wave pattern that developed on that historic August 4th, 2020 close at 51 basis points, the all-time low yield close, a perfect five-wave pattern, and then it extended too far out. Normally, these things end up breaching, but not moving far. So if I had to approach this, the way I'd approach it is, is that I don't think we're going back down much into the 3.5 to 380 zone, which I think is significant, 
but I also think that there's a ceiling on rates. I think they're going to move a bit higher. And the key here is it's so little push through technically that tomorrow's weekly close needs to be above four and a quarter. Actually, it needs to be above today's yield of 427. And if it is, I would say the next major resistance level is 461. And it's going to churn a lot of time to get up there. And Guy, you're exactly right. Sometimes yields go up for good reasons. Sometimes they go up because gas and diesel prices are going higher and people notice the relationship. And when you throw in UAW and UPS, there's a lot of moving parts here that aren't necessarily good. Throw in the supply side issue. People can blame the Fed in the minutes, but I think there's a whole lot more going on here than the Fed. Rick, thanks. It's always great to get your take. Rick Santelli joining us from Chicago tonight. Um, those are interesting points that Rick brought, you know, in terms of the whole sort of pastiche. Pastiche. <laughs> Mosaic. Yes. Now, Rick, listen, I mean, he's forgotten more about the bond market than I'll ever know. I mean, clearly, he does an outstanding job. I'm with him. There's a lot of moving parts here. But quite frankly, I don't think any of them are particularly good for the equity markets. Yields going higher here is not going to be supportive of valuations and yields are going to go lower for the wrong reasons. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. the reason why bonds probably rallied late in the day, if you look at the TLT at a little spike, is because the equity market was selling off. So there's this perverse flight to perceived quality in the form of bonds. So you can make an argument that if yields are going lower, and it because something good has happened, because the market is probably selling off, and if yields continue to go higher, it's not supportive of equities. For more on rates, let's bring in Damped Spring Advisor CEO Andy Constant. Andy, great to see you again. How are you hey, trading this? So, uh, you know, since I was last on on August 1st, uh, the 10-year is up 35 basis points, the 30 is up 40 basis points, the S&P has fallen over 5%, and the NASDAQ over 6%. Some of the high multiplier um, uh, ETFs like IGV are up significantly. Those are pretty big moves. And I think the principal reason, there are lots of catalysts, but the principal reason was the uh, surprise uh, issuance from the Treasury. Uh, they just issued significantly more than even I expected uh, last time we spoke. So how are you positioned? I mean, do you think that the equity markets should uh, go much lower from where we are right now? Do you think rates are going much higher? How are you positioned? Yes. Yeah, so equities have really actually performed fairly well given the amount of increase in yields. I think they should have, they should um, have to catch down to the fall in bond prices. Um, they may have been held up by strong economic numbers. I think equities will fall between four and five percent before uh, the bond market levels and the equity market levels get into line. But bonds are going to continue to be under pressure. They don't go down in a straight line. And I have to say, I've covered some of my bond shorts. But I'm still bearish bonds and stocks um, because the driver of Treasury issuance was just announced. It hasn't really come to market yet. When it does, and if banks have to issue long-term corporate debt, or the Chinese or Japanese currency markets have to be su uh, supported by the official sector, they'll have bonds for sale too. And so those co that combination of things um, should impact long-term rates to 25 to 50 basis points before supply comes back into balance. And that should take over the next six months. Andy, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Excellent call. 10 days here, whenever it was. Seems like a long time ago now. but. Uh, so 
They are now they made this announcement, and I would wonder: Does the market? All right, the market knows how much there is to be issued, when it's going to be issued. So it's sort of a little bit surprising to me that you think the actual issuance itself would be the catalyst. When isn't it the, the sort of knowledge about the issue and how much sure. paper there is to go that I would think would be uh, how the market would price it now? Right, I think that's right, and you have to think about the amount of money that can front run something like this. In certain circumstances, like a small rebalance, you don't need much money to front run all the uh, move out of the market and price it in. But we're talking about, you know, approximately $200 billion of, of surprise coming in the fourth quarter and more in this quarter. Uh, in bond issuance. And there's just not $200 billion of money that can be front running um, bond markets. So I think we're going to have a situation where the front running will do some, maybe half, I don't know. And then the actual supply will affect the market on an ongoing basis. And I want to go back to the, the interesting point that you brought up in terms of um, other selling pressures around the world, you know, such as from Japan, did you say 25 to 50 basis points of impact? Yeah, so I think the overall impact of both the potential catalysts out of Asia for currency defense uh, and the large supply is worth about 25 or 50 basis points on 10 years. So we could go to four and a half, is what you're saying? Sure. That's sure. totally I mean, within sight. Straight line, but sure. All right. All right, Andy. Always good to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Andy Constant. Four and a half is quite a different picture from what Rick Santelli was talking about. <laughs> Just a little bit more ahead, Tim. Um, do, you, do you see that in the cards? Wow. And, and is, that just, is that necessarily terrible for equity markets? It sounds terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the pastiche and weave in a little bit of Guy, a little <laughs> bit of Rick, a little bit of Andy. Uh, the, 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 the fact of the matter is that I don't think we know where yields can go. And I think it's really difficult to, to hazard a guess in terms of the up move because of the break of four decades lower in rates, because of the sheer size of, of the supply that we've never seen, because of where the JGB market is breaking out now uh, to eight-year highs, but really was that much more artificially kept out. I mean, that's what we call you know yield curve targeting. And, and so I, I feel as if investors just aren't ready for this. And, and remember, most people thought that the economy, like we can close the book on the people that thought the economy was going to be in recession or in a deep recession by now because it hasn't happened. I'm not saying it won't happen. In fact, it likely can happen. But look at those jobless claims this morning. Uh, there's no sign of the equity, excuse me, of the labor market weakening uh, significantly since March. I think it will weaken more. But but the point is, I think we've, we've got a dynamic here where uh, the Fed can't really do a whole lot. And I think that's a case where yields can continue to drift higher with all these other forces at work and most people who are positioned for the tenure to go to 3%, not 45 I just want to say, Guy and Tim are music savants, and you, neither of you came up with Wrecking Ball for Miley. I know you're not a giant. Come on. Come on. We, we talked about Miley. Yeah, yeah, being a music savant and a Miley fan. A, a music savant and a Miley fan are mutually exclusive. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Miley. <laughs> She is yes. watching the show. She is watching. Yes. According to Guy. She's fantastic. She's um, a big coming, fan. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> coming up. Some after hours action at Applied Materials. Shares higher after the company's latest results. We'll bring you the numbers next. And CVS, see you later. Shares tumbling as a major insurer goes in search of lower pharmacy costs. And a Shark Tank Investors company is one of the new partners. The details when Fast Money returns.
you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on applied materials. Shares of the chip maker, chip equipment maker, popping after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Guidance for the current quarter also coming in higher than street estimates. Christina Parts Nebulis has the latest from the conference call. Christina. Well, Applied Materials joining the likes of KLA and LAM Research with a stronger-than-expected earnings report. CEO Gary Dickerson attributing the continued strength to AI chips, of course. Applied makes machines for high-bandwidth memory chips as well as AI chip packaging or advanced packaging. He also pointed out that regionalization of semiconductor supply chains like the Chips Act here in the United States is actually helping their business since companies are snapping up equipment when they're building on uh, American soil. And then on the call, they were asked about China. The CFO said in Q3, quote, there was a small amount of shipments to China, but Q4 will be larger. And that they're paying close attention to any pull forward, forward orders. There's a lot of concern about whether there's a lot of buying that's happening right now from China before any additional export restrictions. Hence the pull forward part of it, which would mean less revenue several months from now. One last interesting point that was just discussed before coming on set right now on the call. The CFO said on the depressed memory chip market, he said their indicators show continued negativity. Quote, we haven't seen a turn at this point. So maybe not a good sign for memory maker Micron. Christina, just for my own edification, if there are um, ex you know export restrictions later on and China pulls forward the orders, that's revenue that's pulled forward, but revenue that otherwise would not have been made in the future, correct? Well, no, wouldn't it have been more spread out? Because this is a major concern with NVIDIA, too, that all of the orders are being pulled forward at the expense of further quarters from now. And so when you keep raising the bar, it's going to set this extremely high bar for seven months from now. And then you would see a negative reaction in the stock. So to your point, I, I, I would assume that, no, they were supposed to be coming out as seven months from now, but now they're just going to do it two months from now. Okay. All right. Uh, Christina, thanks. Christina Partsenevelis. What do you think of AMAT? I would just say that the fear of not being able to order them in the future might cause you to order more than you would right now. But in, in your point, I, 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 I get I'm, it. I guess I'm saying I wonder if the revenue yeah. even come in the future, but you are setting up for a difficult comp, mm -hmm. yes, quarter on quarter yeah. in a year. But this, that revenue might not come if, 
if restrictions are really tough and enacted. Yeah. So, so we heard a lot um, about a month ago from some of the OEMs, and, and, and Taiwan Semi is a big customer, obviously, and they said that, like, despite what they're seeing, you know, in, in certain end markets that were weak, you know, the demand for high-end graphics chips was not outweighing, right, the weakness they were seeing in some of the other areas. But they did say that CapEx, like the CapEx that they got into, was not bad. So this is already in the AMAT stock. When you think about the beat that they had, high single digits on the EPS front for the quarter just reported, and then nearly a 10% revenue beat for the current quarter, and the stock's only up, I don't know, 2 2.5% or something like that, that tells me that there's already a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of people were expecting this sort of thing. So it goes back to the comment that I made about Dan Niles and NVIDIA. When we get to NVIDIA next week, it's going to have to be a monster beat and raise. And let me tell you something. The whisper number on the buy side has been moving up. Analysts on the sell side have been tripping over each other to raise targets and raise their estimates, you know, for the current quarters, uh, you know, in the next few quarters, that sort of thing. So I just think there's a lot of enthusiasm baked into the whole sector right now. The fourth quarter, to Dan's point, the fourth quarter guide, the lowest, the lower end of their guide was the highest end of the street expectations. So they guided to $1.82 to 218 for the fourth quarter. Valuation's reasonable. Margins hung in there. Stock should be much higher than it is right now. So maybe there is this dampening effect. I mean, you can make a decent argument on valuation. Should be higher. The fact that it isn't is a little concerning for sure. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. California dreaming? More like a California nightmare for CVS. The pharmacy switch that sent shares plummeting. And how billionaire Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban is involved. Next. Plus, a tale of two retail reports. Walmart dropping despite an earnings beat as Target continues to climb. The fortunes driving the two stocks and where they go next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Fast Money, a buzzkill on CVS. The stock's trading at its lowest level since November 2020 after Blue Shield of California said it will drop the company's services to partner with Amazon and Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drugs Company. Blue Shield saying the move is meant to save on drug costs for its nearly 5 million members. Let's get to Bertha Coombs, who's got the story. Bertha. Melissa, nonprofit insurer Blue Shield of California has used CVS's Caremark as its pharmacy benefits manager since 2021 and its pharmacy services for almost 20 years. But now it's shifting to low-cost players on the pharmacy side, sighing with Mark Cuban's Cost Plus drug company, the 20-month-old online pharmacy which sells drugs at 15% over wholesale, and Amazon Pharmacy, which this week launched a $35 insulin program. Blue Shield CEO Mark Paul Markovich says when fully transitioned, the program will save about $500 million a year in drug costs. Blue Shield is just the second health insurer now to sign with Cost Plus. Mark Cuban is confident, though, that 
they'll win over more. He told me there are a lot of bad habits they need to break, but payers now realize that Cost Plus has made the price of medications transparent, with doctors and patients seeing what prices should be, and the industry will have to adjust. Now, Blue Shield will still use CVS for specialty drugs, which is the big part of pharmacy spend, really. But analysts estimate that losing the pharmacy benefit side of the contract will mean maybe a two to six cent hit to earnings in 2025 when it becomes effective. Not material, but in the wake of today's stock market move to a two and a half year low, a spokesman for CVS this afternoon defended the company's track record, saying Blue Shield California is a unique health plan with a long history of unbundled pharmacy services. We have won several large Blue Cross Blue Shield plans on an integrated basis within the last two years and are confident in our ability to serve these large, sophisticated plans. But, you know, the biggest loss, Melissa, is actually next year, and that is going to be material. They have lost Centene, the Medicaid insurer, yeah. and that they lost to rival Express Scripts over at Cigna. Bertha, thanks. Bertha Coombs which all makes it very almost laughable that they came out this afternoon reaffirming full year 2023 guidance since there is obviously no impact to this year. Uh, mm -hmm. Karen, you owned I owned, CBS. yes. Past tense now. Well, yes, woke up with that delightful piece of news. I, you know, this, so it's not so much about this one client. Um, it's certainly a big name, but it's about the pressure on the industry. So as Bertha said, the sort of low cost business, which is 80% of, of the number of prescriptions-ish, is, uh, is, is leaving, but I, I love the market. Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Plan. Yeah. I just, I, it's a funny name, but I, I get why they did it. Um, so the specialty business, which is the much hot, you know, maybe things like Ozempic, but cystic fibrosis drugs, you know, the much more expensive ones is staying. But I do think it makes every customer then of a, a PBM. PBM, which is embedded in CBS, Caremark, that they have to rethink and they have to renegotiate. And anything that puts pressure on an industry that is opaque or that wants to shine a light on anything that is opaque um, makes me very concerned. So is it cheap here? Yes. But I do think that even if the earnings stay, right, even if it's a much slower bleed than I think, that multiple will still be under pressure. under pressure. People will be pessimistic about the future potential of those margins. It reminds me of GM in that, well, ICE is really, they still make a bunch of money. But people are thinking, what, what's going to happen in the future? Yeah. So uh, I had to just, just say, uh, you know what, I liked it, but I'm not anymore. This is, um, I'm out, done. And you can sort of take it off your monitor for a few days, which, yeah. which helps. We're also in an election cycle, so there's going to be scrutiny on drug prices. But let's get um, some more on the fallout in CBS and other PBM players. Bring in Les Funtlighter. Les is a healthcare portfolio manager at E-Squared Capital. Les, do you own CVS? Did you own CVS? Uh, no, we've never owned CVS. The only uh, of the players that were uh, impacted today, we own, we own United Health, and that's about it for the mm -hmm. uh, players. And uh, there's a reason for it. And you were alluding to it, right? The um, it's not just that this is a, probably not a material hit to CBS, at least in the near term. But it's Amazon getting into healthcare, which always has a disproportionate reaction to um, to stocks, right? In healthcare, and then you also alluded to the pol politics. Uh, we're going into election year. 
nobody likes the PBM. So Democrats don't like it. Republicans don't like it. The pharmaceutical industry doesn't like it. Uh, so those and it's because they the market has failed because of the uh, asymmetric information and lack of transparency. So I, I think there's more to come here, actually. So do you think that all of these uh, PBMs will ultimately need to be re-rated? I mean, do you think that the business model is really threatened by this? I mean, it's one thing to say Amazon is getting into healthcare, and we saw that headline, you know, way back when in the initial knee-jerk reaction. But this headline is Amazon is taking business away from a legacy PBM. It's completely different now. Right. Well, you know, it's two things. It's a death by a thousand cuts, right? It's Amazon. It's politics. But there's also the slippery slope argument. We don't actually know uh, post-2024, 2025, um, whether this is a growing trend. But I do think that if you're um, a, either a self-insured employer or um, an HMO, you have to rethink your, at least you have to answer the question to the board, should we be doing this or not? And that was not a question that you might have asked, say, on Tuesday. You add up UNH, Cigna, these probably market cap is north of a trillion dollars if you add up the four. Not insignificant is my point. But if there is a re-rating, what type of haircut are we talking about? Because at a certain point, it's going to be self-first, ask questions later across the entire space. Right. Well, again, you know, we are going into politics, a political season where it's open season on health care. So it's going to ha- be hard to parse out what what is causing what. But in terms of fundamental re-rating, I mean, it's going to be company specific. So like United has a big IT unit and Cigna is doing its own thing. So it's going to be company dependent. But I, I, a couple of multiple points or a couple of multiple turns, uh, I think, definitely, because this is a very profitable business for everybody. So it could be significant. And to your point, everybody's going to sell first and ask questions later, which is, you know, Wall Street. Les, great to get your take. Thank you. Les Funtleiter, E-squared. Tim, what's your take on this whole thing? I'm surprised at the sell-off in CVS just because the stock's been uh, struggling substantially for, for months. And, and this is a fresh move lower. I, I do think that there's value in the PBMs. We've just gone through this. Um, I, I recognize what the implications are, but uh, I, again, um, I would not have thought this to be the reaction, especially in a world where uh, I think CVS's market cap reflects Amazon's presence in pharma uh, and Mark Cuban. So, um, but I, I, I do recognize this is an existential moment for the entire industry. They still have a very, very profitable PBM business. Karen, you also own Elevance, which was down, I guess, just yeah, the just the whole yeah. I, I still like that. I mean, this one I sort of think about CBS. I think about if I own none, would I want to buy it right here? And the answer is no, not yet. So I mean, it could go a lot, not a lot lower, but it could certainly three day rule if you were ever thinking of buying it. I'm not at the moment thinking of buying it. Coming up, a pairs trade profit earlier this week. One of our traders made a call on Walmart and Target. Now that we've heard from both, we'll take a look at how that trade is playing out. That's next. Plus, China's debt crisis deepens after one of the country's largest largest shadow banks misses dozens of payments. The impact it could have on a broad range of investments. The details when Fast Money returns. That's Guy laughing. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks on a three-day losing streak. The Dow falling 290 points, closing below its 50-day moving average for the first time since 
June 1st, the Nasdaq dropping more than 1%, the S&P 500 losing just under 1%. Shares of Pinterest bucking today's downtrend. The stock named a top pick at Evercore ISI. The firm believes a stabilizing digital ad market will be a recipe for success. And shares of Ross stores jumping after hours. The retailer lifting its second half outlook after beating on the top and the bottom lines. Earnings per share coming in at a buck 32. That's 16 cents above estimates. Ross citing easing inflationary pressures and improved value offerings as driving the strength. Let's get to our other big retail story of the day. That'd be, of course, Walmart. The stock slumping more than 2% today, even after the company posted a 6% jump in same-store sales and upped its full-year forecast. Grocery and online growth driving most of the discount retailer sales instead of big-ticket and discretionary items. Just on Monday, Dan here said that within a week, being short Walmart and long Target would be a winning trade. Since then, Target which delivered disappointing quarterly results this week, is outperforming Walmart, though both still down. What do you think, Dan, here? Right. So sometimes this has nothing to do with fundamentals. <laughs> it really has to do with sentiment. And, you know, like the way I was just thinking about it, we had a great conversation about it. And I think we were talking about the fundamentals at Walmart. They're good. The guidance that they just reported speaks to that. And if you looked at Target and you'd say, oh, that stock was up 5% or something like that, and it didn't really speak to a company where the fundamentals are particularly good, except that everybody hates Target and everybody loves Walmart. And so sometimes it's that simple just to take a crack on some stuff like that. So to me, in the next week or so, we could get back to where investors start focusing on the fundamentals a little bit just because positioning into the prints was probably the most determinant thing about how these stocks were going to trade on the way out. Great call. I mean, that's because I had it completely backwards. I thought Target would continue its deterioration, especially on the back of that guide. And the Walmart quarter was very good. I mean, very, very good. But valuation does get in the way sometimes. And at Dan's point, sentiment does play a role. And again, you look at it, Target did exactly what Walmart should have done and vice versa. It will rectify itself. The question is, how much, how much more in line did the two get before it starts to do it again? I think they should get more in line, even though the Target forecast was disappointing and the Walmart <laughs> one was good. If you think about the differential and the multiples, remember, Walmart's saying we did great in the grocery business. And I look at a giant grocery business like an Albertsons or something like that, their multiple is way lower. So what does that mean for the rest of Walmart's business? What multiple is that if the combined multiple is 25? Uh, now, I agree, they're much, much bigger than Albertsons, but Albertsons is huge, $150 billion business. So I think that multiple differential is too high. So I'm long Target and long Walmart, but more Target than Walmart. I think that maybe Paris trade, just separate Paris trade on its own, just to play your kind of game. I find myself agreeing you don't like, with Dan you, here. You, you hate doing that. So let's, I do let's, it every yeah, once in a yeah, while. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting. I like it. Nice <laughs> call, Dan. <laughs> Coming up, the fallout from China's real estate crisis may be getting worse. One of the country's biggest shadow banks is skipping on payments, and investors are taking to the streets. we got that story next. Plus, shares of Chesapeake Energy pumping higher, and option traders are piling in. We'll have more on where they think the action is headed in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money. One of China's biggest shadow banks, Zhongrong International Trust, missing on payments on dozens of its investment products. That's sparking rare protests by investors and adding to liquidity concerns in China's financial sector. Our Eunice Yun has got the details. 
Melissa, security was tight at the Beijing office of trust firm Zhongrong today. The company has set up a registration desk to handle investors who are showing up demanding their money back. In the past day or so, videos emerged online and were later censored, purportedly posted by angry investors at the office. We saw about a dozen investors there, very worried and agitated. Staff confirmed to us that some of the products wouldn't be paid back due to the larger liquidity issues of the underlying investments. Zhongrong has sizable real estate exposure. On the Shanghai and Shenzhen exchanges, investors have filed hundreds of inquiries to listed companies asking about their potential links to Zhongrong, as well as to property giant Country Garden, which now faces default. The police presence around China's new financial regulator is heavier. There are reports that some of the investors want to press their cases to government authorities. Melissa? Thank you, Eunice Yoon in Beijing for us. Separately, the embattled property developer China Evergrande just filing for Chapter 15 protection in a Manhattan bankruptcy court in just the last hour. So these troubles are mounting, Tim, and, and people are getting angry about this. It's not just that the values of their own homes are gone, but they're not actually getting investment payments as well. No, this is this is a social issue in China. I mean, we're talking about, uh, first of all, a major retail backlash, but we're talking about factory workers that are invested in uh, all these Zhongji. They have a number of portfolio companies that, that are, I mean, it's a three, you know, it's a massive company. Um, and it's a company with enormous exposure into the, you know, the shadow financing and property market. So there's a lot of different tentacles here. But in terms of, of, of what is not allowed in China, um, this kind of you know, social unrest is not allowed. Um, if you look at the impact on the yuan and if you look at you know, around 730 and after a 4 percent move in the last few weeks is a pretty significant move in a short amount of time and really effectively 10 year lows against the dollar. Um, this is part of the you know, of the backdrop we're talking about, part of the backdrop that, that actually is is got people worried because and, and by the way, this many times would be leading to a bigger flight to quality, which might actually be helping Treasury yields. It's actually uh, you know pushing, I think, regional bond yields up a bit. Um, but again, we know what's been going on and, and the EM trade that's China heavy, 42 percent uh, weight of China in the MSCI EM uh, is, is turned on a dime um, after a lot of very good fundamentals. And, and if we were talking EM investing, uh, EMX China, uh, especially LATAM, looks better than ever. Um, but this news out of China, uh, amazing. You brought this up a couple days ago, Melissa. Amazing how it was not front page news in every financial newspaper uh, until it was today. Yeah, I mean, Zhongrong is just one shadow bank in a $3 trillion industry in China. So imagine multiplying that potentially, you know, I don't know, two times, three times, whatever it is, that's that many more people. And then on top of that, the severe youth unemployment problem, they're so bad, they're not even releasing data anymore. Tim mentioned it's a social, social problem. But Guy, how do you separate this aspect of it from, say, saying that you like Las Vegas Sands because of the Macau trade yeah. or something like that. No, that's an excellent point. You, you, the hope is with that trade, the high end holds up and it's been knocked down enough in terms of valuation where you can make a compelling case. But that's entirely separate of what's going on. It's a much bigger issue. Quickly, I mean, eight years ago, literally I think this week, is when you saw, again, we brought this up, the devalue the one, and then the ensuing months, the sort of ripple effect it had in global, global markets. 
It's happening again right before our eyes. It might be more slow motion this time, but don't mistake it. It is absolutely happening. Yeah, and you know, going back to that initial conversation we had about yields and, and what's going on with global yields, and, and again, I, you know, it's, it's you know, above my pay grade, okay, like put it that way. But I'll just say this. If you look at what's going on in China and the deflationary readings and what's going on with their economy right now, I just don't know how they're not going to export that here. I, I, I just, it, it, as long as I've been in this business and it started with the... Asian financial crisis in the late 90s, that sort of thing. I just don't know how we're immune to it. And think about all the excitement about our economy and pushing out recession expectations when they changed from zero COVID right back in January. And our markets ripped. I do believe that was a big part of what happened in, in January in February. I'm just like, you know, you said it, Mel. How is this not on every major, you know what I mean, front page of a business channel or whatever? And now it is. And I just feel like maybe we're starting to feel that a little bit. Coming up, oil nearing positive territory for the year, and often traders are pumping into one name that saw some big gains today. Can the climb continue? We'll lay out the action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chesapeake Energy jumping today up more than 4% after news that the oil company is joining the S&P mid-cap 400 index. And option traders are fueled up on the stock jump. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, so Chesapeake traded 10 times its average daily options volume today. The busiest contract were the September 90 calls. Ultimately, over 6,000 of those traded. But those weren't hugely bullish bets. They were only modestly bullish bets. That's because one of the bigger trades we saw was a sale of 2,000 of those September 90 calls at $1.45 against a long stock purchase. That's obviously a bet that the upside move would be potentially limited at that $90 strike price. That would represent about a 5 to 6% increase from today's closing prices uh, between now and September expiration. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe. For more options action, of course, tune into the full show. That would be tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Timothy. Energy transfer is one of the great yield plays in the energy space, utility, et cetera. Their deal with Crestwood removes a major overhang. They were going to do something, and I think this deal is positive. Chairwoman. Yes. So as I said, I find myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with Dan on almost every point of that target Walmart trade. So that is my final trade, a pairs trade, long target, short Walmart. P.E. spreads are too big. Dan. Uh, yeah, XLF. I remain a seller. I have a put position. You know, those great Bulls teams, if Michael Jordan was out for a week or so, they'd be able to sort of weather the storm. But if Michael and Scottie Pippen were out the same week, it's extraordinarily problematic. We will find ourselves in that position next week as both you and Karen are on vacation. Enjoy that. Thank you. APA Corp, Melms. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for watching Fast Money. I won't see you tomorrow on Fast, but I'll see you on Squawk Box. Uh, tune in for Mad Money, though. Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
series warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 